Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message at Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy this message. Before I say anything, I want to let you know um, I am from the south part of Michigan. You're going to tell that I don't have an accent from the UP, right? Because all of us in here are trolls, right? Because we're below the bridge, huh? Okay. All right. Um, I want to play a song for you, and it's going to have everything to do with, wow, is this one, this one's working now. Well, that's really hot. Need to put this one down? No? It has everything to do with what I'm going to communicate to you today, and I'm I'm hoping that the Lord helps me to be able to say what's on his heart to you and reaffirm to you things that you already know and understand. Sometimes in life, experiences help color what we think and our attitudes about situations and people. And sometimes the Lord needs to come along and say, this is how you need to be thinking about this. And I'm hoping this morning that the things that I share with you out of this book, because I won't have very much to say outside the parameters of what are right here. And I'm hoping that Jesus will help ride you in the right direction of how he wants you to think and act. So this song that I'm going to play for you this morning has everything to do with what I'm going to communicate with you this morning. One of the reasons why I like that song is that I don't know if you know that there were two old spinster ladies that lived in New York, right outside the gates of West Point, United States Military Academy. And they were bent on ministering to the cadets that came to the academy. And those two ladies were the ones that wrote that song. 
Why that's special for me is because my son went to school there. And he went there out of high school, and um, they came looking for him, and they recruited him as a wrestler, and he went and he wrestled at uh, the United States Military Academy in West Point in the last two years. Um, at least for me, he seemed to be their best, two, best wrestler the last two years. Went to the NCAA tournament and did really good. And um, he actually competed for 20 years. That's a long time in a sport, you know. And wrestling is not, it's not an easy sport. It will take everything out of you. But it will put into your life some things that you don't know that are happening at the moment while you are competing or while you are disciplining yourself in practices. It is just a neat sport. And when he came off the mat from the NCAA tournament three years ago, after his last match, he had gotten beat, and it was, it was over. 20 years of competition just stopped. And he came off the mat, and he walked through the tunnel, you know, at the Coliseum there, and he went into kind of the side, and he sat down against the concrete wall, and I went down where he was at, and I, I sat there on the floor, didn't say anything to him, and he started taking his shoes off. Now, there's a ritual that a wrestler goes through when he is finished, they sit against the wall, they sit there, and they very slowly take one shoe off, untie it, and they set it to the side, and they take the other one off, they untie it, and they set it to the side. And I didn't say anything, and in about 15 minutes, he looked up and he goes, I'm so glad I could say I was a college wrestler. Can we go get some ice cream? <laughs> and you know what that told me? That told me that, I mean, it's a real intensive sport. I mean, it will, it will dominate your life if you allow it. It told me, even after all those years of competition and discipline and study and just, oh, it's grinding. He didn't have an attitude that said, oh, I got beat. It's all over with. I don't know what to do with my life anymore. This is all I've done my whole life. I can't have it. No, he's like, okay, that chapter's over. Now we've got something else to do. Lord, what is it that you have for me to do? And it's a joy. I hope at the end of this service this morning, you will say to Jesus, Maybe some things are going to change. Maybe some things are going to stop. Maybe this is at the end of an error in your life. And you can say with Jesus, with sweetness, Lord, I expect and I look forward to what you have for me next. And it's going to be like going and getting some ice cream. And Jesus is going to give it to you. And I just pray this morning that that is what will happen. Um, I want to let you know I am from the South. I am, <laughs> I am, I am a royal redneck. I'm sorry about the, no. I shouldn't say anything. I'm not sorry about that. You know, we I we live and minister in Dearborn, Michigan. We've been there 30 years. 
And the Lord Jesus is just helping us to allow his love to flow through us. We get to see him chase them. And that's a hoot. <laughs> this is my water. I want to tell you something. Jesus is not afraid of them one bit. My neighborhood, the place where our church is, is 97% Arab Muslim, 2% black, and 1% white. <laughs> right where I live on Tyreman and Morrow Circle, right on the corner, Detroit's on the other side. Dearborn's here, and then there's me. In reality, we get to see Jesus do some phenomenal things with people. That if you don't get close enough to someone to get your arms around them, you'll never see. How many of you watch the news? How many of you are irritated? Turn that thing off for a day. What would happen up here again if the electricity went off like it did from the Mississippi to the Atlantic? What was that, 2000? Something like that? Early part of 2000? Remember the electricity went off? We were over at the, at the Assembly of God camp at Fahola with the Royal Rangers. It didn't bother us a bit. Everybody else was freaking out, right? Let me ask you, what would it do to your perspective and what you thought about this world and how things are going everywhere if the electricity went off your house for a week or a month or three months? How would it change your perspective? What would, how would you think about things? I want to tell you something. See this book right here? You don't have to plug it in. The battery's never going to run out. Sometimes I've taken the cord from my, my iPhone and come in in church, and I'll, I'll come up to the pulpit, and I'll, I'll have it in the bottom of the, the, my Bible, and I'll look around, and I'll go, where's the plug? And people are going, what is he doing? You know, at the end of the day, that's the first thing we're looking for, a lot of us. Where can I plug in my phone? Where can I plug in my computer, my iPad? This right here never needs electricity out of the wall. And if the electricity get off, went off, what would your perspective be? How would it change about how you think about everything? Do you know the media is dictating to you? They're not giving you news. They're dictating to you what you should think. And they're not nice. They want to keep people stirred up, angry, mad, irritated. And you know why? Because it's, if you are that, if you're anxious for everything in life, you're not going to be walking in the path that Jesus wants you to walk in. You're going to be doing like this. You understand? And you'll go, oh, I, 
I shouldn't be doing that. You'll walk a little farther and you go, you'll hear somebody say something stupid and you'll go, Did that preacher really do that? He did. I want us to turn to Romans this morning. Oh, come on, Romans. You know, with a kind of new Bible, your pages stick together, right? Go to Romans chapter 13, please. I want to read several different passages to you this morning. And I want to try to change your mind about some things. And if my grammar is not just right, raise your hand and correct me. That's okay. But I want you to hear what I'm saying, okay? Now, I'm, I'm reading from the ESV, which is the extra special version. Y'all need to get, get one of those. It's really good. Have my uncle give, give this one to me. Um, all right, Romans 13, 1, down just a few verses. Lord Jesus, bless the reading of your word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's a heavy passage. As Americans, we wrestle with this. Because everything that we know and understand is representative. There's other places in the scripture, particularly in Romans, where Paul instructs the church specifically to pray for these people. Right? Are we not to do that? We are to do that. We are to say, Jesus, we ask you to allow the power and the wisdom and the glory of heaven to come down on people in our situation that have been elected by us to fill those offices. Now, Lord Jesus, we know that you work in the process. We know that that happens. Now, as Americans, we feel like a lot of times because we elect people that we can complain. And we do a lot of that as a culture. We voice ourselves because, quote, we have freedom to do that. But you know what? It, it, we're not doing something outside of what God has dictated. Here it says rulers are not a terror to good conduct. I mean, yeah, to good conduct, but to bad. So God is working even in the process of elections and all that kind of stuff. All right, if that's the case, and we need to be praying for those people, and after the, we elect them, we are to be about the Father's business, correct? And to let those people do what they are supposed to do. If they don't, what will God do with them? He will deal with them just like he will deal with us in any given situation in our life. 
God will deal with those people. If you have not been elected to an office as a governor or a senator or a, a, a county worker or whatever else, and you're just a, you have the responsibility to pray and to know that, what does it say here? For he, the people that have been put in places of leadership, is a servant of God as an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's God's word. And we are to pray for those people. But we say, you know, we think, well, that, that person is not a godly person. They don't know Jesus. They might be really strange and weird in their philosophy and about, even about Jesus. They may be antagonistic. But you know what? Scripture tells us that those people in those positions are servants of God. And we go, man, that's really hard to think about. They're not Christian. God rules. God reigns. He is not unaware of everything that's going on. So we have the responsibility to pray. We have the responsibility to encourage. If that's what we're supposed to do, and the government is doing what they are supposed to do, things should work. Sometimes they don't from our perspective, but things should work. And God has order right he has order all right so the first thing i want you to know this morning is that we need to pray for our leadership right from the president on down to the man sits over here at the county seat is the county seat here we need to pray for those people that is important all right i want you to go over to uh, where is it Help me think. Think think with me. Think with me. Think think with me. Where Paul went to Athens. Pastor, where is that? First Corinthians. Is it seven? Remember where Paul went and he began to preach? Oh man, come on, Lord, help me. Who knows that passage? Who knows where Paul went went to Athens and started preaching? It was in Corinth. Is it second Corinthians? Come on, come on, come on. Who's got their phone out? Find that passage for us. <laughs> Here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope is also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14 is really important. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all has died. Now, that's the gospel, right? That's what we present to people. And he died for all that those who live, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who was raised, who for their sake died and was raised. That's our place. That's our place. We should live for Jesus, not for ourselves. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh or a worldly point of view. Even though we regarded Christ, Christ according to the flesh or in bodily form, like us, we lived here on earth, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, or in any words, because of all this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself. And he gave to us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Because of this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, workers together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, this is not the message that he preached there. But I had to read this one to you. All this right passage right here is to us. This is us. It's written to a church, right? It's written to the Corinthian church. It's written to us as people. What does he say? We are new creation. The old is gone. The new's come. We were in Christ. He's reconciled us to himself. Not, and, and he's done it to us but he's done it to the whole world and he's not counting people's trespasses against them a lot of times when we preach we we try to beat people up with how bad they are and folks are bad that's why they need Jesus but when Jesus is hanging on the cross did he what did he actually say that really threw everybody back Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that an attitude that we should have toward this world? Instead of the world always going, oh, you got, all you guys do is judge us. And you know what? They got a point. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's entrusted to it. He has reconciled us. He's given us a message. Each one of us in this room have a testimony, correct? Each one of us. And we have the message. We are the best ones in the world to be able to communicate to anybody else what it is before we meet Jesus, when we meet Jesus, and the process after we meet him, what happens and how he works in our lives. We can communicate that because Jesus has done mighty things inside of us, in us, and through us, and with us to other people. And we, by experience, can tell them. That's the message of reconciliation. You already know what Jesus did for you, right? So now the stuff is in you. This is neat. He has entrusted to us a message of reconciliation. Because of this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? It's the highest ranking diplomatic official sent from one sovereign to another or one nation to another. Think about that. Does the scripture tell us that we have our citizenship in heaven? Yes, it does. It says, He has made us ambassadors. We get to speak for Jesus. 
An ambassador speaks for his sovereign. And when he speaks, he takes a message of what his sovereign gives him to the other people that he is being sent to. And we go, yes, we are the assemblies of God and we have missionaries all around the world. And I would say, yes, thank you. But you know what? The word missionary doesn't show up in here one time. Who's this written to? Us. He's entrusted. Entrusted. You know what this means? He trusts you. He trusts you. Whoever told you you're a dirty, no good, rotten, low down, low life sinner, saved by grace. Hallelujah, bless God. You either are, now you are, you are a piece of work getting straight, right? Doing what Jesus wants you to. But he says he trusts you. He's entrusted to you. If you're starting a business, would you just go out on the street down here, downtown, and grab somebody that you know just hangs around on the street corners? Say, hey, I want to turn on my checkbook to you. You're going to help me run my business. Is that what you would do? No. Do you think God's going to do that either? No way. If he's invested the blood of Jesus into your life, and he has, it says up here, he says, given you a message, then he's entrusted you to be what? With the message of reconciliation and to be an ambassador. He says, God is making his appeal through us. You ever looked at people and said, you know, whatever to them and they look at you and they go how did you know that or I've been thinking about that today or they just stare at you like you strange where'd you come from how'd you you know you've spoken to people before and they're like what you know what that means he's speaking through you because he knows what's in their heart and he knows when you open up your mouth you know, about it was three Easter's ago. We were having a meal at our um, at our sunrise service, and there was a man sitting across the way from me. It was an elderly man named Muhammad, and we were having breakfast. He came to church with us that morning, and everybody else got up to went get their food, and I was sitting there, and Muhammad was sitting there across the eight foot table, round table, right, and. I looked at him and Jesus said, tell him I love him, that I know what's going on. And I thought, that's a strange thought. But I'm Pentecostal to know I better say something or I'm going to get my, <laughs> Jesus going to jerk a knot in my tail, right? Okay. So I just looked at him. I said, um, I said, Muhammad, I said, Jesus said he knows where you're at and he loves you. Muslim, right? When was the last time y'all sat across from a Muslim? Anyway, so I, sat, I looked at him, and he stared at me, and big tears came out of his eyes and started going down his cheeks. Now, you know what that means? Muslims can respond to Jesus. Y'all hear that on the news, did you? No, they ain't going to tell you. You know why? They're liars. They're thieves. They want to take your joy. 
Did I say that loud enough? Is that okay? They're not reporting to you what's happening. They're telling you what to think. Tell them to go butt a stump. Turn it off. Is that okay? I'm telling you. You'll be less irritated. It won't be like walking around all day like you got sand in your shorts. Let the Spirit of God wash you and keep you clean. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We, look, and he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf to reconcile to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. Another translation that calls us co-workers, which is what we are. Partners. Partners with who? Mm. Is he God in the flesh? He sure is. Workers together with him. You know what this means? Years ago, he started working on a person Working them toward you. And here you are over here, maybe even two decades ago. And he's getting that person ready. And he's walking that person through you. And that person's maybe going all kind of different ways. And you're going, and eventually, guess what? You are going to cross paths. Why? So you can get run over? Are you kidding me? Thank God says, oh, I'm going to save him. I'm going to fill him with the Spirit. I'm going to give him all this power. I'm going to send him out there so they can just run over him and make a greasy spot on the road out of him. Have a nice funeral and say, oh, how good he was. No way. He's grooming you. He's leading you. He's working in your life. He's working with you. And he's working the other person toward you. And he's bringing that person across your path. And if you don't pay attention, you know what he has to do? He has, he's, and, he, and that person's going to keep going. And he has to work him back across. And he has to change your trajectory. And he's going to work you back across. And he's going to bring you back across that person's path again. So we've got to pay attention and say, Jesus, what is it you want me to do today? Who is it you want me to touch? What do you want me to say? Is this any of this making sense? Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, I want to tell you something. Grace is not. We sing Amazing Grace, and a lot of times we're brainless about, we just go, oh, I have such an emotional appeal for that song. Makes me feel so good, especially when the Scots and they come in their little skirties and they go, and they play the song. And I just, oh, just, no, grace is not, you know, in, the, in Greek, grace is the word, the Greek word charis. You know our English word charismatic? You ever heard the word charis? You know, we talk about our charismaniac friends that are always praying and never doing anything. You know, they just pray. You know, and they beat up the devil in prayer, all right? To be charismatic is to be filled with the Spirit, huh? Okay, 
This word grace is, is the word charis in Greek. That's grace. It's God's power and resonance inside of you. It's not, in our minds a lot of times we have messed with the terms. And when we say grace, we actually mean mercy. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And I can't do nothing else in my life that just gets saved. Grace is not that. It's God's power in resonance. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead actually lives in you. Scripture bears that out. This is reality. You won't hear this on Fox. You won't hear it on CNN or ABC or CBS or any of those other. You won't hear. You won't hear any of this. You know why? Because this is the truth, and the other stuff they're saying is not. And why aren't we filling our brains and our hearts with? You ever felt bloated before? And you go, why am I? So bloated, oh, I don't understand. Is it because we're full of junk? Our spirit's full of junk. The power of God is there, but we've piled so much other stuff over it. You know what? It, years ago, before they had all these implements and stuff, potato farmers used to go out and they'd, they'd pull the potatoes. You know, the potatoes grow under the ground. It's a big bush. And they would dig them up. And they would take the potatoes. Some of you remember, they'd take the potatoes, dirt, and knock the dirt off, and they'd take them and put them in a dark place in the barn. And then they would cover them over with what? To keep them there until the next spring or whenever. They, they'd cover it over with manure. You mean my taters I buy at the store have been covered over with manure? <laughs> I don't know if they do it anymore, but years ago, that's what they used to do. But that's what the world does for us. It takes our goods, mines it, puts it in a place where they can control it, and covers it over with their manure. That's not a very pretty picture, but it's a reality of what happens. Here, it says here, working together with him, we appeal you not to receive God's grace in vain. Look. His power is working in you and through you. That's why he's bringing people across your path. Because you have the story. You have the experience. You have the, the goods. He's working on their behalf and your behalf to get you connected. And when he does that... God doesn't bring them across your path so you can get embarrassed and be feel powerless and feel like a, a, a whatever. He wants you to know that he is partnering with you. God Almighty who created this earth, who raised Jesus from the dead, who set his spirit inside of you and wants you to do what he's called you to do. When Paul preached at Athens, I'll just tell you the story. He went there and he saw this rock. said, to the unknown God. 
And Paul says, what you say is unknown, I preach to you. And he preached Jesus to them, right? He preached Jesus to them. And he said, God is working all around the world. People from every language and tongue. He's changing. He sets borders and boundaries and times and seasons so that they may seek him and find him. They may seek him and find him. Did the news media tell you that God is working in this situation where all our immigrants are coming here and going to Europe and going all over the world? Did, did, the, did the media tell you that God is at work? No. They told you, oh, there's too many coming here. They told you. Oh, they, and they made you what? Mad. All them people are coming here. Man, they're taking our jobs. They're getting all our houses. Yeah, they don't learn our language. They don't care about our culture. Blah, blah, blah. And the media is stirring that up. You agree? Where God says he is doing it. God's doing it. He knows what's going on. Does the news media go to the camps in, in uh, Macedonia and show you how many people are being ministered to? By Assemblies of God missionaries, by other missionaries from other churches, there are thousands. Did the media tell you that? No. Would that encourage you? Yes. And you know what? Those people are saying yes to Jesus. And you know why those people are there? Just on a human level. You know why those people are there in Macedonia and Greece? Why they're there in Europe? Because they don't like a tank running through their house. Would you? No. So they've come. They're coming in the thousands. Now, does that mean that everybody in those groups are good? No. We know better than that. That's why we need to pray. Each country has its responsibility before God Almighty to watch over its people, protect them, Maintain their borders. Do what's godly. Minister to people. Help people. When that breaks down, we have chaos. That's why we need to pray for our government. Right? So if God's working, he is. Now, look. I feel it like right now. I feel it in here. You guys are going, yeah, listen to that preacher. He's just saying all this stuff because he wants us to do whatever. I'm telling you, Jesus is at work. He is at work. Now, I'm going to tell you that you should never be irritated. No, you, you should be irritated enough to pray. Some things the media are going to tell you are the things that are happening. You need to pray. You need to say, Jesus, help that situation. And he will. Turn to Jonah. I want to show you something. Come on, Jonah. New Bibles are great, but the pages all stick together. Come on, Jonah. Where are you, buddy? 
Come on, there you go. Okay, it's on page 865. If this script was on a... Oh, I'm sorry. Jonah, just Jonah. Open it up. Chapter 1. Jonas, why had... That means I know how to say Jonah in Arabic and number one in Arabic. That's all I know. Just kidding. No, I would tell you, Assalamu alaikum bismillah. That means in the name of Jesus, peace be on you. Is that all right? Okay. Y'all. Jonah chapter one. It's really very short. And I want to read it. I want you to listen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled, now I want, right here. You know, you see in the English where it says Lord, L-O-R-D, usually it'll have, in this part right here, large cap and small caps in the letters. See it? All right. English translators have done this traditionally for centuries where they take the divine name of God, Yahweh, and to protect it, keep it from being dishonored or whatever, they insert the word L-O-R-D. We are supposed to know that is Yahweh, the one God, the one God created the world, the one God that delivered Israel out of Egypt. There is no other God. There's not even the same God by a different name. There's only one God by this name, right? He's exclusive. He, he, this is him, right? And the neat thing is, all us Gentiles in this room, he has in included us into the root, into the branch. And now we can be saved. We can be evolved in what he told Abraham. Hey, Abraham, look up to the stars. Tell me, if you can, how many stars there are. Because that's going to be your inheritance. And we're part of that. Not only that we are part of those stars, but that Jesus said to us, I want you to what? Go. And I want you to tell people. Because you Gentiles are being included. Isn't that neat? All right. So that's the God here. Nobody else. Specifically, the Islamic God called Allah. Specifically. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Interesting. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. 
He'd been from Alabama. He told him, get up. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And what is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And on what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven. Who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he told them. He's not only obedience, he's dumb. (laughs) Then they said to him. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they came out... Therefore, they called out to Yahweh. Who? The heathen. The heathen called out to Yahweh. Right over here, they just called him God, little G. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. Oh, now they're getting religious, right? For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. All the heathen are now telling God good theology, right? And Jonas is asleep in the belly of the ship. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And can you imagine this? And they toss him overboard and everything goes whoop. And they're all standing there, the water's dripping off their eyes and their ears and their nose. And they're looking at each other. And they're thinking, oh my God, those stories about Yahweh and him delivering those Jews out of Egypt. And what he did to the Egyptian army. How he destroyed their economy and destroyed all of their gods and laid waste to everything was there. Took them probably a century to recover from that incident. Those people were going, whoa. Imagine it. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and they made vows. In the southern language it meant they repented and got saved. These are Lebanese sailors. And Yahweh appointed a great fish and swallowed up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, he was in there and he started praying. 
I'm going to skip that. You can read that in a little bit. All right, let's go over to verse, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, ah, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord spoke, after Jonah repented, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I, I maintain to you, it says it vomited Jonah out on dry land. That was probably the grossest thing he had ever been through in his life. Don't think when God deals with you, everything's going to be peachy king. Yeah. And a big fish sucks you up. That's a, Lord have mercy. All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Jonah shall be overthrown. Now that's probably just the title of his message. Right? Because they didn't say what the rest of it did. Because what happened at his preaching was... Utterly amazing. Can you imagine the prime minister of Israel walking into Baghdad right now and going, all you Arabs need to get saved. And they all repent. Can you imagine? You know, the news, there wouldn't be any news for six months from the Middle East. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. In those two verses right there, there was so much that's not being said that you can just go, what in the world happened? Then the word reached the king. Oh, now, the political part gets involved, right? He gets to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. It's a big deal. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. Now, look, revival's already started in town, right? Huge town. And then he gets to the king. And this is what he said. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd and their flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Not to any God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Yahweh. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. He knew his people. Who knows? God, Yahweh, may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, he relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. God is good. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now look, it just said God relented from the disaster that he said that he would do to them. And he did not do it. And we all said, praise God. Next verse said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And the redneck part of me wants to go, you're a knucklehead. What in the... And he prayed to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Yahweh, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahweh said, you do well to be angry. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it, may, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Thank you, Lord. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came, the next day he appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it would wither. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head, down on the head of Jonah, so that he would, would, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, "It's better for me to die than to live." But God said to Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry?" With a plant. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And Yahweh said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did not make grow. Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city. In which there are more than 120,000 people. Who do not know their right hand from their left. And so much cattle. I had to tell you, a few years ago I was reading this, and it got a hold of me like this. And I read that, and I turned the page like that, looking for the last paragraph. And I went, oh, man. Zondervan, what did they do? They sent me another one of these Bibles with some of the pages missing. I got to send it back and get another one right here in the middle of this story. And then it dawned on me, that's the end. I turned it back. In another version, it says, and much cattle. The Lord's concerned with everybody. Our animals, our stuff. Who we are, what we do, where we go. Our city. But he told, he, I think he was really aggravated, Jonah, at the end. Jonah tried to justify himself the whole time. When God spoke to him in the very beginning, his reaction was, I'm out of here. He took his own money, 
own expense, went down, bought a fare on the boat, knowing that boat's going to Tarsus. And that in Tarsus, I feel like, was out, way out on the other side, on the Atlantic, in Spain. As far as you could go away from God in those days before Christopher Columbus, right? Now, I want to tell you something. Even in our disobedience, God will use us to cause a revival. Those mariners got saved. Jonah, who had the right God, right book, right philosophy of life, he was in the right church. He understood this book. He had a relationship with his God. He talked to God. God spoke personally to him. He understood his place in society. He was a prophet. God trusted him with his word. He delivered it flawlessly. When God said, go to, quote, those people, he went, uh-uh. I ain't doing that. Anything else you want me to do, Lord? You want me to pray? I'll pray for them. I'll pray for him. Sure, I'll pray for him. But don't ask me to go. Don't ask me to get close enough where I can look into their eyeballs. Lord, do you understand what they do? Look, Jonah was not un... How should I say this? He had a reason to say why he didn't like those people. Let me tell you one of the things that these Ninevites would do when they came. When they come, they, they would come to your town. They would surround it. And uh, anybody that would escape or come out of the town, they would take them. They would take a, a stake, probably about this high, maybe 10 feet. They would sharpen the end of it, make it into a really sharp stake. They would take, particularly the men, they would tie weights to their legs. They would strip them of their clothes, and they would set them on that stake until it came out the top of their cranium. Now you got to ask yourself, was Jonah justified in his feelings? You bet. He really was. Probably some of his family was affected by those people. They overran everybody. They were so wicked, a lot like ISIS, but even more so. He, in his mind, said, I... It's almost like you ever said to the Lord, Lord, are you paying attention? Are you not seeing this? Do you understand that my relatives, do you understand that my cousins, do you understand what has happened here? Do you understand that we're falling apart as a nation? Do you understand that they're overrunning us? Lord, don't you see? Why aren't you doing anything? The Lord goes, I am. I'm sending you over there to talk to them. I'm getting my wallet. I'm going down to the sea. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going the other direction. Because he's not listening to reason. He hasn't heard the news tonight. He had everything in order. He could, you think he could preach? Are you kidding me? You think the Spirit of God was there while he was preaching? Are you kidding me? A Jewish fellow walking into the middle of a town in Iraq on the river. You know where Mosul is? 
Who you, you heard Mosul in the news, right? Mosul. ISIS took them over, right? That's where Jonah went. You know what gives me the heebie-jeebies? I've got thousands of these people from this town in my neighborhood. Do I understand why Jonah was upset? You bet. See that cross on the wall? What does that cross say to us? Um, I can think of one scripture that says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. His attitudes and his actions should dictate to us our attitude and our actions. I'll tell you what's scary for me about this story. The last word on Jonah's life is not, Jonah had a great revival. And people got saved. How many? 120,000? Do you know any other revival in the Middle East, the Old Testament, that this happened to? No. You would think there would be reference to his great revival and the things that happened and the peace that it brought in the Middle East and how they quit tearing up cities and killing people and murdering them in mass. You would think that would have been part of the story, right? The last commentary on Jonah's mission and his ministry is cows. Redneck part of me says, the Lord's saying to him, your attitude's full of bull, buddy. That's the last word on your ministry. You know, attitude is important. The cross must dictate to us how we feel about everything. Not just our Christian life, everything. Because our Christian life affects every place we go, everybody we see, everything we do. One more passage. The Ephesian church in, in, in Revelation, chapter 2, it says to this, to the church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Is it Jesus' words, right? I know your works, your toil your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently. Jesus is telling this to the church, right? And bearing up for my namesake. Hallelujah! That church is doing something. And you have not grown weary. Are those admirable points that Jesus is bringing out to them? You better believe it. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that I had at first, or your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. 
You know why? Jonah had no love. He had no compassion. He understood God. He understood God's sacrifice. He understood that the Messiah was going to come. And that every... He understood that he was in a group of people that were called God's people that were to take the good news around the world. And now God's sending him to the other part of the world. But he had no agape. He had no sacrificial love. He had everything else lined up. Is that important to the Lord? You think? Jesus says, I have this against you. Oh, Lord, please. I don't, I don't want to hear those words. You have abandoned your first love. Jonah abandoned his first love. All the things that he repeated back to the Lord. That's awesome theology. That's God's heart. Toward everybody. And when he told that to those Ninevites. When he told that to them. They responded. But he couldn't stomach the fact that those people. Got saved. Lord. You know. I want to ask you this morning. This is a hard question. Because I'm speaking mainly to believers. Now, there's other people in here. You don't know Jesus yet. And you're thinking, what in the world am I doing in here with this crazy? This is, I never in my life. This is not like the Catholic church I went to. No, it ain't. Many of us have all of our ducks lined up in a row. But we have a hard time. Specifically with our Arab friends and our Arab Muslim friends. I can tell you by experience in 30 years of living with them. They're crying for release. They're crying for hope. They want what they see in us. And if we can get close enough to them to get our arms around them, will they argue with us? Yeah, they will. Because they don't understand the beginning. But when the love of Jesus flows through us to them and the Lord Jesus has brought them here to this point and he's had a rendezvous with us and he's put the goods in us and they are, they are so thirsty. And I know you're thinking right now, well, that's not what I saw on the, on the TV. That's why I told you. Turn that stupid tube off. This book is telling you the truth. Now, does that mean that there's not junk going on in the world? Are you kidding me? The devil is a liar. He's mean. He doesn't play by anybody's rules, not even his own. He hates everything, everybody, even himself. Why do you think he's so irritated? He knows his... Stuff is coming to an end. And we are in a war. A war that needs 
us to do what Jesus has called us to do. I've read you this morning what we're supposed to be doing. Our culture says to us something different. And we have got to choose. Are we going to see everything through the lens of the cross? Are we going to continue to allow this world to dictate to us how we are going to think, even about Jesus? Yeah. I didn't come in here to beat anybody up because every time that I preach, it's a reminder to me. You know, I think when I was reading that and I thought, oh my goodness, I got people from Nineveh living in my neighborhood. I had to say, Jesus, please don't let me do like Jonah. Please don't let me have an attitude like him. Please allow your love to flow through me. And for me to reach and get close enough, Lord, help me work through my fear that I don't just immobilize myself. That I will push past what scares the living daylights out of me. Because I tell you, there. listen, imagine this. Ahmed and Ali, they come out Nineveh's gate on the south and they're looking. And they see Jonah up over here. And Jonah's going, I like the Arabs. And he's throwing, he's pitching a fit. And they're going, Jonah, Jonas, show Jonas what you are doing. Jonah, the whole town's going crazy. Jonah, we're changed. Jonah, the Spirit of God is here. Jonah, Jonah, come look, please. Jonah. And he's going, just making an idiot of himself. And you think, why don't we never hear from him again? He's demonstrating. And the Lord said, okay. I can't use you again. Sorry. Can you see how that would scare me? Now, it took Jonah probably three, four weeks to walk across the desert from the Mediterranean to get over there where he was going. I know that because I walked from Dearborn to the bridge one time, spent the night here one night. That was a hoot, man. You know, cows will look at you when you're walking up. They'll come to the fence, and they'll just watch you like this, right? Cows are in this book, man. I want to pray for you. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray that Jesus will help your attitude. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you guys are bad. I'm just saying I, I understand your thinking. I live in the neighborhood with them. I feel constantly things that I have to struggle with. But I have to see through the lens of the cross those people. If I don't, I disqualify myself. That's not what we want. I want a partner that God can be proud of. That's responsible for what he's been given to do. Bow your head with me. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for their prayer. I thank you, Lord, for 
them calling down your presence into this place and you coming and you ministering to these people, Lord, and you're touching their hearts and you're healing them and you're, you're, you're setting them back up. You're restoring them. Thank you, Jesus. But, Lord, you don't do that stuff just so we can have like a shiny new car can just sit in the front yard and do nothing. Lord Jesus, you have saved us for a reason. And your word has given us instruction about that this morning. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that we not allow this world to dictate to us. Father, please, don't allow this word to dictate. And I know that's our responsibility. I pray for everybody in here, Lord, that they would stand up on the inside and go, No, darkness, I will not listen to you anymore. I will hear Jesus. I pray, Father, for every man, woman, and child in this place that they would not walk out of here angry or mad, but they would say, Jesus, I need you. Please help me. Use me. Touch me. Because you saved me for this. So you can bring people into your kingdom. And that the new earth and the new heaven will be full of people that have come into your kingdom because of us. Okay, keep your head bowed just a minute, please. If the Lord Jesus is speaking to you and, and, and maybe you don't even know how to respond. Or you don't know what to do. But he's speaking to you and you know that. I want you to just stand up. I'm going to pray specifically for you. Stand up. If the Lord has spoken to you through his word this morning, through this message, the spirit of God is dealing with you. I want you to stand. There's one. There's two. There's three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I'm not going to get in a hurry. Twelve. We're all family here. We know what Jesus has done in us and through us. Thirteen. Fourteen. Doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, Father, I pray for these that are standing. I pray, Lord, that your love and your compassion would wash over them. I pray, Father, <laughs> that your power will surge through them. I pray, Lord, that whatever you've spoken to them about, that they would repent from. I pray, Father, that you would change their thinking and their attitudes. I pray, Lord, that they would not be afraid of what you're going to do or how you're going to lead them. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that your loving and compassion will flow through them. And look, you that are standing... Um, I'm going to ask you to come up here, but wait just a minute. And then the others that are there, you know who your friends are here. I want you that are standing to come and stand with me. And I want the others to come and lay hands on and pray for your friends. Come on, you that are standing up, come, come stand with me, please. And sister, where are you? I'm going to play some music now. Come here, brother. Come here. Let's stand across the front here. Come on, sister. Come on.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your compassion and your love for us. Thank you that you're not holding our sin against us. Thank you, Lord, that your, your blood is not dry. No, it's still there effective by your spirit to be applied to our lives, not only to forgive our sin, but to bring restoration in our lives. And I pray right now, Father, in Jesus' name for these people. Now, those of you who know these people up here, I want you to come. You're drawn to somebody. Come and lay your hands on them and pray for them right now. Pastor, you know people in your church that can come and pray. Come on. Come pray for them. They're going to they're gonna need your prayer and your support. And I want to ask you to do one other thing. When this is over with, get with Pastor, please. Please do this. Let him know what Jesus is doing because he's going to help facilitate you to get to where you're supposed to be in Jesus and doing what you're, do, you're supposed to do. Allow Pastor to do that. Come on, we still got some more folks in these, your friends, to pray for them. Come on, you know them. I don't. I'm going to pray for everybody, but I want you to, you know who's here. Come. Come pray for your friends. Come on. Come pray for them. Don't let anybody just be standing there by themselves. Come on. Come pray. Thank you, Brother Trey. It's a challenging message, and I, I can't help but think who's our, who is our Ninevite? <laughs> who's your Ninevite? Ask that question this week. Who is it God wants us to help reach, but we've refused or, you know, we felt like, no, I'm not doing that for whatever reason. Let the Lord minister to you this week. Brother Trey is uh, a missionary. He requires support. Obviously, he's, I think he has about a dozen. Where'd he go? Is he still here? How many are in your church? physical about 50 can you use any help though I mean you or is all your support raised oh you could use a little help okay or a lot of help yeah in fact uh, you just spoke to the presbyter board and you have the opportunity their building is separated right now uh, there's a, a an attorney's office between their two buildings and they have an opportunity to buy that and, uh, you know, it's not cheap. It's in Dearborn, but it's a good price. And this would bring their whole building together so they'd have continuity and they wouldn't have to go outside the building to go in the other one. So I know he can use the funds. So what I would ask you to do as we pray and if I could have our uh, ushers come forward, uh, what would God have you do today? And, and I already had an amount before we even came out here today and I've, I've got mine ready. And I would just ask... If you want credit and you're giving cash, then find an envelope behind you in the seat back. Uh, put your name on it. And everything going in this offering will go to Trey Hancock and the Muslim, the ministry to the Muslim people in Dearborn. And uh, however he sees fit to use it. If you want to make a check out, you can do that. Make it out to Mount Hope Church. As I said, everything that goes in this offering will go to him. Would you stand with me as we pray? and then we'll release you. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing this strong word to us today. It wasn't an easy word, but Lord, sometimes we need to hear that, and I believe that word today was just for us. Lord, use it to minister to us this week, this month, through the remainder of the time we have on this earth. 
and uh, bless this man of God. Bless Trey. Bless his family, his church. And Lord, continue to shine that light brightly in the Dearborn area. And now take these gifts that we're putting in this offering today. Use them, Lord, mightily. Use them. Multiply this offering in Jesus' name, just like you did the loaves and the fishes. Lord, I pray that there be more than enough for Brother Trey, for his church and his people. And again, we thank you for the opportunity to bless back just a little bit more. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving. We pray you enjoyed this message. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at gaylorchurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.